Welcome to Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. Oh my gosh, I started saying that and then wasn't even sure if I was going to remember the intro, but it just all came out. It was all tucked back there in my brain. It is so good to be talking to you guys again. If you follow me on Instagram, you may be aware that I just came back from a three-week-long trip to Mexico, and I was kind of thinking on the trip that there's so much about this that I want to share, and I almost wish that I could do podcast episodes about it, and then I realized that I could absolutely do podcast episodes about it. So this is a one-off episode, and I may be releasing more in the future when I have something travel-related or tangentially travel-related that I want to talk about, I may just be using this podcast platform a little bit as my own sort of soapbox (laughs) to get on when I have something that I want to talk about, but I promise that it will always be tangentially travel-related or have something to do with that, because I know that is why you guys are all here. But yes, I just came back from Mexico. I started planning the trip in September, I think. Um... I I don't know, it was kind of random. I really wanted to go somewhere this sort of early early winter, late fall when it's starting to get really cold in Colorado. Um, obviously, Mexico was appealing just because of the weather. And I, I sort of felt that like being in Colorado, Mexico is close. I mean, it's it's not like it's really not close. But living in Colorado, Mexico is the closest that it's ever been for me. So I really felt like I would like to experience that country. I'd never been before. Um, I know it's a really popular tourist destination, especially for Americans. Um, I'd never been to Mexico. So I just I don't know. I sort of got that that thought in my head that me and my bonnet or whatever that I really wanted to go to Mexico. So I planned a trip. I wanted to be in a few different locations, but also have time to spend um, more than just like a few days in each place. So I went to Mexico City, flew in and out of Mexico City, and then also spent um, a week, a week plus in Oaxaca and Merida, which is the capital of the Yucatan state in Mexico. And actually being in those three different locations was super interesting. Um, And I imagine it's, it's sort of funny that I had this perspective that they're all so different because that is what America is like. And, you know, a lot of other really big countries as well. If you go to different parts of that country, it's going to feel very, very different. So I... I really felt that each city that I was in in Mexico felt like a totally different country. They were all so distinct and so unique from each other, just in terms of what the city felt like, like the architecture and what it looked like and all of that, and also just the food and what people were recommending and, you know, what you just saw around the city in terms of like things to do or what it's known for and all of that, they all just felt totally, totally different. Looking back, it's it's almost hard to believe that it was the same trip. The beginning of the trip feels so long ago, but the end was really just a few days ago. So like I said, I flew into Mexico City. I got there on the first evening of Dia de los Muertos, so I got to see a little bit of that craziness. What I learned is that the first day of Dia de los Muertos is more for the kids, and it's kind of combined a little bit with Halloween. So I got there, I got to my hostel at like nine o'clock, I think, and I really needed food. So I went out, and there were just the streets were just filled of with parents and children all in costumes. Um, people were driving by throwing candy from like cars and even kind of floats, even though it wasn't a parade, just all kinds of decorations and things set up was really cool. 
And then the second day when I started to explore the city a little bit more, I saw lots of the ofrendas, the um, altars or offering places, um, which you've probably seen with all of the um, orange marigolds. <laughs> Sorry, I'm recording this really early in the morning and my brain isn't quite functioning yet. I'm also just out of the practice of podcasting. Um, so it was really cool to see all the ofrendas and all the other formal decorations that were set up. There was a really cool display in the Zocalo in the main square of Mexico City um, that represented all the different states of Mexico. So it was really cool to just coincidentally, I didn't plan my trip around trying to be there, uh, but it was cool to get to see a lot of the Dia de los Muertos celebrations. Mexico City overall wasn't my favorite place. In fact, I would say it was probably of the three that I went to my least favorite, although I still, you know, had a great time there, but it just was... Um, it's a big city. It's an enormous city. So it does have that hustle and bustle feel and, you know, getting to different parts of the city to see or do different things does take a little bit of time, but it did feel good to be back on a subway again. I do have that little, I don't know, city urban thing ingrained in me. I do love a subway. And it's always just really fun to take public transportation in a new place. It really makes you feel like a local, even though I'm definitely, definitely not. But you're like, yeah, I'm just jumping on the subway. I know my stop. Um, all of that felt really good. So I took the bus from Mexico City to Oaxaca. It's about a six hour. I would think it ended up being like a seven hour bus ride, but it was supposed to be six. Oaxaca is higher in the mountains. So the bus ride, I, I wasn't on the window side, unfortunately, but I could see a little bit out the windows was just stunning, gorgeous mountain views. Um, just really incredible landscape that I, you know, I didn't really know existed because I don't know a lot about Mexico or definitely didn't before this trip. Uh, Oaxaca got off the bus, was just immediately in love. It is the most colorful city. It's actually not. Um, San Cristobal, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, is supposed to be one of the most colorful cities in Mexico. But Oaxaca has murals everywhere, really highly decorated. Um, it's known as one of the artist hubs of Mexico. So there's a lot of just crafts and handworks and and things like that. It's also um, one of the gustatory, one of the food capitals of Mexico. So there's a lot of food to try around in that area as well. And in Oaxaca was where I really started to enjoy going out for breakfast. Um, Oaxaca and Merida, my last trip, I just loved going to cafes. There were so many fun cafes to try in in those places in Mexico. Um, so I just really loved going out. And, and, you know, sometimes I did like the chilequiles breakfast, um, which is homemade tortilla chips covered with um, like a red sauce or a green sauce and fried eggs on top. It is delicious. It's also going to make you feel like crap for the rest of the day. So I had that once because it's it's a staple. It's on every single menu, basically of every place that I went to in Mexico. So I definitely had to have that. It was fantastic. Um, but I also found that most places just had options for like uh, huevos al gusto, like eggs, however you want. And then uh, they always came with refried beans as well. The egg dishes always came with refried beans. And then I found most places would either had on the menu or would just let me order like a side of fruit. So that was, I would just go out to cafes, have like a fairly um, balanced breakfast and coffee, of course. And yeah, that was just what I love doing in, in those cities. Um, and then from Oaxaca, I went to Merida. I was actually going to go to San Cristobal between those two for a couple days. It is a smaller town, higher in the mountains, kind of, I don't know if you're thinking about the geography of Mexico, if you're at all familiar with it, I sort of started in Mexico City, which is like 
central southern a little bit and was sort of curving my way down south and to the east um, to the Yucatan Peninsula. So Oaxaca is a little bit south of Mexico City, and then um, Yucatan is like all the way down and around, and I picked San Cristobal. It's kind of in the middle, but it's also supposed to be an amazing, amazing town. It's like high in the mountains. There's a lot of hiking and nature excursions that you can do. It's also supposed to be the most highly decorated and colorful city in Mexico. So I really, really wanted to go, and I ended up canceling it kind of because of logistics and kind of because of safety concerns. And it's hard for me to talk about the safety concerns because I do think that being being so concerned that I canceled that part of my trip was an overreaction, but also worrying about it and sort of being unable to get definitive opinions or information or perspectives about that part of the trip uh, was just causing me a lot of anxiety. So I canceled it to relieve that anxiety, which it definitely did. Although I'm sure had I gone through with it, it would have been totally fine. The safety concerns that I was concerned about um, was the bus ride from Oaxaca to San Cristobal. Uh, There is an airport near San Cristobal, like there's an airport that serves it. It's about an hour and a half um, away from that city or that town. And I couldn't get any flight that was reasonable that would go from Oaxaca to there. They were all like, you know, going back through Mexico City and just being really um, inconvenient. So I was going to take the bus. It's about a 12 hour bus ride and it only runs overnight. And Mexico has a great bus system. Everything that I read said that they're, you know, extremely reliable and, you know, fairly comfortable, better than Greyhound buses in the U.S. The one that I had from Mexico City to Oaxaca was great. They all say there's free Wi-Fi. I will say there's only 30 minutes of free Wi-Fi when you have a six-hour bus ride or a 12-hour bus ride. Um, That distinction is important, but they're all extremely comfortable. They stopped, the six-hour bus ride that I took stopped once at a rest station kind of area where we could buy snacks and all of that. So I'm sure that this bus ride would have been totally, totally fine. It would have been annoying and uncomfortable, but I'm sure it would have been safe. But I read a few too many things about how the overnight buses, if about how if there's any bus route that you want to be a little bit more careful on, it is the overnight buses. Uh, sometimes they go through military checkpoints, which is is it's fine. <laughs> There's no problem with that if you know if you have nothing to hide, kind of thing. Uh, but that can be a little bit disconcerting. But then I read that specifically this route to San Cristobal is the one that you want to be especially, especially careful for, careful about. It is sometimes on rare, rare occasions. It is the one that is more prone to being. Um, stopped by like highway robbers kind of situation and like they're not going to kill you but they'll take everything you have um so reading that just made me really nervous i did talk to people i asked um people in the hostel in mexico city uh locals what they thought about that and it was sort of i didn't get enough like effusive yeah it'll be totally fine responses i got sort of shrugs of like yeah i think that's fine i think that's okay um And so ultimately, like I said, it was just causing me too much uh, stress and anxiety trying to read up to reassure myself. And so ultimately, I ended up canceling it, which kind of worked out because that would have been a really short stop. I was only going to spend like three days there. 
And so I just ended up having a little bit more time in Oaxaca and Merida, and that was all for the best. But I did keep meeting people later on in the trip, women who'd gone to San Cristobal and taken the bus. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I would have been totally fine. Um, But I did make that decision. So then I flew from Oaxaca to Merida, and Merida, I think, was my favorite city. I was expecting like a big city because it is the capital of Yucatan. And I think it is big in terms of geography, but it's really, really low. Um, I never saw any building more than like two stories there. So it just felt really, really small town when I was taking the Uber from the airport into the city. Fun fact, this is very random, but if you go to Merida, Ubers cannot pick you up at the airport. It's very confusing. They don't explain it. They just randomly cancel on you, uh, but they're not allowed to pick you up at the airport. So you have to walk a little bit down the road and across the street where they can pick you up. So <laughs> that's my my tip of the day. So overall, I got into this describing each place just because I was thinking about how each location was totally different. So Oaxaca had like the colorful, fun tourist hub vibes and Merida was a little bit more gritty. Um, It's definitely like it's still a tourist destination for sure, but it just has that real like this is a real city lived in vibe. Um, A lot of the buildings, it was fascinating to me. I've never been to Cuba, but it was giving me vibes of like Havana and even parts of Spain that I've been to. Um, So the buildings are this real sort of like former glory. They're all these just like, I, I don't even know how to describe it, like columns and ornate buildings that are now crumbling. Although there was a lot of restoration being done, I did see a lot of work being done on buildings while I was there. But it just has this vibe of like, I don't know, it would have been interesting to see these buildings at the time. You know, what what would Merida have looked like at the time that all of these buildings were in their, their prime state? But even being older and a little bit shabby, still just had this... Um, I don't know, I can't think of the word, but this vibe about it that I I really, really liked. Although, one thing that I do want to talk about, although I already touched on it with San Cristobal, is traveling as a woman in Mexico. And Merida, even though it was my favorite city, was also the place that I got catcalled the most. You know, I was being super, super cautious this whole trip, like like you can tell, canceled part of it, just to be careful. Um, You know, always staying in in areas with other people and just trying to be very like eyes down on the sidewalk when I was walking around. And, you know, I don't want to fall into the trope of like stereotyping Mexico as, as being especially dangerous or more dangerous than other places. Um, I'd heard from many women who had lived or traveled in Mexico that they really love it and have had fantastic experiences. But had a lot of experience also with catcalling and harassment and even being like touched and grabbed in public places. And just like that's something to be aware of or to expect when you're there. Luckily, I was never touched, <laughs> which was great. But um, Mexico Mexico City, I didn't notice a ton of it. I, I feel like I got some looks, felt people staring at me, looking at me, um, things like that. Oaxaca, I think, was was totally fine. It's such a tourist destination that I didn't notice anything. Merida was when I started getting the the catcalls and the whistles and things like that, which was definitely a bummer, um, especially, like I said, because this was my favorite location of the trip. But that was just sort of my experience with that aspect of traveling. 
Merida is also known as the safest city in Mexico, which is interesting. And people tell you this all the time. They're very, very proud of it. So it is known as the safest city in Mexico and like one of the safest cities in the world. And so I tried to look this up a little bit. And it is, you know, you will find, you will read it in people's blogs and things like that. But one of the top hits when I was searching it is this article from 2019 saying that the capital of the Yucatan, Merida, has been ranked the second safest city in North America by CEO World Magazine, but it's all one world, so is it CEO World Magazine? <laughs> I don't know. The only city in North America that ranked higher than Merida is Quebec City in Canada. So it looks like they were ranking this on like overall uh, crime crime level indicators statistics. So I don't know exactly what goes into that. And of course, as with all of these kind of ranking lists, it is a huge grain of salt. But um, it does seem that there is some basis on this. And I actually asked some people about it. And one thing that I noticed is that every road in and out of Merida has military checkpoints. Um, so I took a couple of tours that went out of the city and and I, I took myself out of the city at one point on a little day trip. Um, was never stopped by these checkpoints, but they are there. So you drive under, I think you're going like under overpasses, <laughs> under overpasses. And they're just, you know, there's like military vehicles just kind of camped out there. Um, they could stop you, but they don't in most cases. So that's interesting. You know, as someone who's kind of... Um, anti-military and suspicious of the police. Um, I found that disconcerting, but I think in in theory or in practice, that is supposed to add to the safety of the city and, you know, maybe does add to the safety of the city as well. So like I just said, I did a couple of tours and I want to talk about Airbnb experiences for a second because I... I'm late to the party. Airbnb experiences have been around since 2016, although they did pause them for the pandemic. Uh, They are back in action now. I've never done them before, and I think they are just great. I think Airbnb as an organization definitely has extreme problems. And I know, you know, people... Turning, turning apartments and turning houses and things into Airbnbs is definitely leading to a lot of like inflation in housing prices and locals being unable to find uh, places to live. So that is one of the many issues with Airbnb. But if you are going to do tours or activities, I think finding them through Airbnb experiences is a really great way to do it because it sort of harkens back to the original conception of Airbnb in that you are connecting directly with locals and, you know, paying, giving your money directly to locals instead of, well, say instead of big organizations. Of course, Airbnb gets a cut, but instead of paying directly to some like big travel agency or something like that, um, the local, you're, you know, connecting directly with local people. So, I did um, a tour of Teotihuacan outside of Mexico City. Um, It's called Teotihuacan and Grandma's Food. It's extremely popular. I do recommend it. It was great. The guides were fantastic. The lunch experience, Grandma's Food afterwards, is definitely not as like family-centered and and small as they make it seem, you know, because you're going with a tour. They run, they ran two buses. So there's two brothers who run this tour. And so they divided the group in two, which was nice because it made each um, group experience a little bit smaller. 
There were maybe like eight other people in my group, but then they combine everyone for lunch. So it is a big group for lunch. And it's definitely like they have turned this into an institution. Um, and it is definitely family run. It was their, their family members all working it. But it's definitely a, I don't know, I can't think of the word for it again. It's it's early in the morning here. But it's definitely just a, a, a bigger experience maybe. Um, you know, they have this big room all set up with long tables and everything and yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't I don't know how to describe it. It was fantastic. I do highly highly recommend it. Um, but that was just my perspective of it. And then because I had such a great time with that one in Oaxaca, I did a mezcal tour. Um, I'm going to talk about my perspective of tourism, especially in Oaxaca, in a little bit. That was also very good. I learned a lot. It was uh, a fun time. Um, it was definitely a little bit more of a sort of classic tour experience, maybe manufactured tour experience. I don't want to say manufactured because it was, you know, it was still a small group and it was the owners of these distilleries and mezcal companies taking us around. Um, but then also in Oaxaca, I did a smaller experience, which I really loved. I did a bike tour. So it's just this local guy um, from Oaxaca, but also lived in the U.S., so speaks obviously um, Spanish and then fantastic English as well. And for so for $17, um, I went on this bike tour. He sets you up with, you know, one of the many bikes that he owns, and there were probably five or six other people on this tour as well. That was another thing that I did for safety. In booking these tours, Airbnb tells you how many people have already booked each day. And so I made sure to only book ones that there were also other people on. Because some I could have booked the days that didn't have anyone yet and maybe gotten a solo experience, which could have been cool. Um, but just for safety reasons, I made sure to only book experiences with other people and also with guides who already had, you know, hundreds of reviews. And just for a little context, sorry, jumping around here, I realized I haven't even explained it. Um, just like with Airbnb, traditionally, uh, local individual people can rent out rooms or um, apartments. Airbnb experiences lets individual people run tours. So if you have like an area of expertise or something you're really passionate about or knowledgeable or good at doing in your area, you can turn that into something that you take travelers on and show them that experience or help them do that, um, you know, and, and make money doing so. So, you know, in my time in Mexico, there were these sort of tours to famous cultural sites, you know, Teotihuacan or Chichen Itza in Yucatan, which is one of the seven wonders of the world, um, combined with local food, things like that. But I also saw like photographers running tours to like take you around to the best uh, photo sites in these cities. Or I even saw a uh, real estate one, like a real estate tour of Merida. So I guess if you want to get into the real estate game in a new city, people will take you around and show you that. Or like cooking classes or hikes or whatever it may be. All of these local people who have this again, area of expertise will take you around and help you experience that. So again, I just think it is a more intimate, perhaps local experience than booking with a tour company. So this uh, this bike tour that I did, it was like a 45-minute bike ride out of Merida to the Tree of Tule. I hope I'm saying that right, which is the tree with the largest diameter in the world. 
it's not the tall it's not very tall not super tall but it is extremely fat so we biked there and the man who ran this tour you know took us around the tree told us a lot of like the history and fun facts and showed us you know different things that you can see in the tree and then there's a food market nearby so we went to the market and he took us to his you know favorite stand there favorite stall there we ordered some food and chatted for a bit and then rode back it was about three three and a half hours total um seventeen dollars super fun you know just a sort of a random really cool experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do and then in Merida I did a tour to a couple of cenotes and then lunch afterwards that was a really common one in Merida is tours to cenotes um, which are the big natural pool formations throughout Yucatan so these big like caverns um, that are filled with groundwater and many of them are extremely beautiful and you get sort of interesting formations um, stalactites stalagmites all of that Um, so I did a tour to two cenotes and then lunch afterwards uh, with a local family that was another one where the tour sort of makes it sound like you're going to be eating with this family and then ultimately it was just them Uh, bringing us food. We barely interacted with them at all, which again, if that's the way they want it, that's great. Uh, But that was another one where the experience wasn't like quite what I had pictured in my mind. It was definitely more like being served than having an experience with. So I think that's maybe just something to to be aware of (laughs) for some of these tours. But again, overall Airbnb experiences, recognizing that Airbnb is a problematic institution. I do think these are really, really unique and definitely something to look into if you travel. You know, it's it's funny. Like I said, I'm really late to the party. I would have been really curious to see what experiences were offered in other places that I've traveled that I was not aware of. So I'm definitely going to be looking into those in the future. The last thing that I want to mention with regards to this trip and just traveling in general, I mean, it was not specific to Mexico or Oaxaca or anywhere that I went on this trip, but it just really made me think about it, is sort of the nature of travel and tourism in general and the places that become tourist hotspots and just sort of how to deal with that as someone who wants to travel and wants to see other places. Um, Like I mentioned, Oaxaca is a major tourist destination and I just sort of really felt there the dichotomy between the locals and the tourists and the way in which sort of the whole ecosystem of Oaxaca now, and when I say Oaxaca, I'm talking about the city Oaxaca de Juarez. The Oaxaca is also the state itself, but you know, I'm lazy and I just say Oaxaca for the city. Just the way that the whole ecosystem there has adjusted and adapted to revolve around the tourist industry. And the more that I just thought about this, the more that I kept working myself up into this like cyclical thought pattern where I couldn't get out of it and I couldn't find an answer. Um, And of course, there's no one specific answer, but I would love to hear anyone's thoughts on this. You know, what do you do or what do you make of a place that has been visited by so many people that they have come to rely on the money brought in by tourism, their whole, you know, not their whole economy, but, um, you know, tourism is a large 
moneymaker for that area. And most people, it seems like, work in it in, in some way, whether it's actively through tours and things like that or, you know, selling souvenirs and things on the street for, for tourists to buy. So in one respect, it's like I don't want to contribute to that destruction in large part of a local community by by visiting it, by by actively participating in that cycle. But at the same time, they are now relying on that money from tourism. But I also don't want to fall into like the white savior-esque trap of thinking like, oh, well, I'm bringing them my American dollars, so it's okay. Um, you know, I'm... I'm they need my money. I'm fueling their economy because like that's not an appropriate um, reaction to this situation either. But Oaxaca was definitely um, harmed during COVID, you know, when a large portion of tourism was was stopped, was shut off during COVID. Um, I read about how that region suffered greatly because they didn't have that money coming in. And then just sort of on the way that it impacts kind of the, I don't know, the experience on the ground. Um, There were several things that like sort of rubbed me the wrong way or made me uncomfortable in that portion of the trip. Uh, I went on a free walking tour, as I always do. (laughs) It was actually one of the best free walking tours that I've ever been on the, the first morning that I was in Oaxaca. And like I mentioned, that is a big um, artist area of Mexico and sort of like the traditional crafts and things are made there. So as part of the free walking tour, we uh, walked around the neighborhood that is sort of the workshop area for a lot of these makers and actually got to go inside a weaving studio workshop. And it seems like this is a typical part of the tour. The tour guide obviously knew the the people working in the studio and I think she probably brings these groups through as, you know, a a regular part of the tour. Uh, And she encouraged us to take photos and take videos. This is sort of a dying art. This is probably the last generation of people who are going to practice this specific craft. She said the younger, um, younger generations, the children and grandchildren don't have an interest in learning it because it's not economically sustainable. So by letting us you know, see it and and document it with photos and, and videos. And then, of course, there was a chance to buy things afterwards. They are spreading the awareness of this art and, you know, giving it a wider reach. And then also, you know, because we were given the chance to buy things, they're also bringing in revenue from that as well. So it seems like a really positive thing. But the whole the feeling on my end of being part of this group of tourists to all be shuffled into this studio to watch these people working, gawk at these people working and, you know, pull out our phones and and take photos and take videos just felt really icky to me. It felt really like othering and like, you know, like kind of a zoo animal situation. Like we're ooing and aahing over these these people doing these strange things. Um, it was really amazing to get to see, and I did take photos and videos because I wanted to document it. It was uh, a really amazing process to get a, a chance to um, to witness. But at the same time, just the whole dynamic of this group of people coming in for like ten minutes to to see this thing. Uh, just felt really weird to me. And I felt similar vibes on some of the tours that I did where it was like, okay, this group of people has paid a large amount of money um, relative to the general cost of living and, you know, cost of traveling in this area 
to be part of this tour to get to essentially get in the way of people actually trying to do, do their jobs. I'm thinking of the Mezcal tour that I went on when we were touring the distillery. Our group was like definitely in the way of people actually trying to do the work in this distillery. And we got a chance to try to do some of the process. So like chopping the, the piñas, the agave heart that is, um, roasted and distilled into the mezcal. We got to try chopping those up with an axe and doing a few other parts of the process, which was like ostensibly to give us a deeper look and appreciation into the process of of making mezcal. But it just felt really like we're paying this money to have this fun experience and and laugh and take pictures of ourselves doing the, these like wacky things that these people next to us are like actually doing really well. Um, you know, this incredibly labor intensive job under the really hot sun and around these incredibly hot and smoky fires. Um, I was already so uncomfortable with just like five or 10 minutes in that environment, um, both smoke and everything. And here are these people actually doing this job for someone asked on the tour, like how much they make. And it was about 500 pesos a day, which is about $25 uh, US dollars a day. Um, and I, I sort of did some thinking about like prices that I'd paid and like what I'd seen about cost of living. And that actually, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, definitely, but that seems decent, like that seems comparable to the general prices that I saw. But, you know, compared to us American and European tourists coming in who paid far more than that to be on this tour, it just felt a little, a lot <laughs> awkward. And there's all these different components of it. Um, you know, there's the general over-tourism, which then increases cost of living for locals and, and prices of things for locals. Um, there's all these elements of the the way that, that tours are done. And, and maybe it's simply a matter of, like, I didn't go on the right tours. I was talking to some people about this later, and they were mentioning that, like, they've seen tours that are more... Um, more immersive, like it might be a longer experience where you like stay in a place and you really participate in some sort of collective experience. It's not just like a few hours or a day where you're paying to go see something. Um, so that might be like a way around or, you know, a better way to do a better way to see these things that we want to see without participating in just this cyclical over tourism um, situation. But it is so complex and there's so many overlapping elements to it. Like I said, every time I tried to think about this, I just got caught up in the cycle of like, well, this leads to this and this leads to this. And then we're back at the beginning in the harmful place again. So I don't really know what the answer is. I would really, really love to hear other people's thoughts and perspective on this because I think the first step is noticing it and acknowledging it and thinking about it and talking about it. Because I think once we do that, then collectively we can maybe start changing things or, you know, putting different processes in place, even though I don't know at this point what they are. So I would love your thoughts on that. And 
That is all I have to say right now about my trip to Mexico. I had a fabulous time. I got three weeks of fantastic weather, and now I'm back in the cold and snowy Colorado. But I had a blast, and it was so good to do some more extended travel. Again, like I worked, um, I was working about part-time the whole time that I was on this trip. So some of that was in the hostel, whether that was like on my bed or in the common areas. I also went to a lot of cafes and did that whole fun um, digital nomad thing. But another thing to watch out for, which I want to watch out for in the future with being a digital nomad um, and part of this whole over tourism thing is that People were telling me that, I mean, this is true, I think, across a lot of the world and probably much of Mexico as well, but specifically in Mexico City right now, there is an influx of mostly American, but foreigner uh, people coming, working as digital nomads, working remotely, uh, because that's so much more common and easier now. And the landlords are thus charging them higher prices, which they are willing and able to pay, and kicking out locals from you know, apartments and houses and all that. And locals are now unable to afford housing in Mexico City because of the influx of foreigner digital nomads. So I know that's something that I have really touted in the past. I did a whole episode on new countries offering the digital nomad visa. And that's essentially what I'm doing uh, when I travel. But I think that has definitely changed my perspective on going somewhere and like renting a place long term and working remotely or working online. I think if I choose to do that in the future, I'm definitely going to be very careful about where I decide to go and how I find that housing situation just based on, you know, what I've heard um, about what's going on right now in Mexico City. So that's the last thing I'm going to leave you with. I didn't mean to end this on a downer. I had a fantastic time on the trip. I'd love to hear if anyone has ever been to Mexico or has had, you know, these kind of experiences that I've talked about. What are your perspectives on tourism and all of that? Oh my gosh, it's been a long time since I've done this sign-off, but you can still send me anything to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, although let's be honest, I'm mostly just active on Instagram now um, at goingoutyourdoor, and technically I do still have a Twitter at goingoutyour, but um, I doubt that's going to be around much longer. Thanks for joining me for this catch-up episode for Going Out Your Door, and I'm sure I will talk to you at some point in the future, although at this point, I don't know when that is. 